Welcome to episode 41 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we are back after a road trip back in Los Angeles, and it is raining <laughs> like maybe we should check and see if they're building Noah's Ark. Yeah, it's raining pretty hard out there. Fortunately, we know that it's probably um, nothing to do with global warming since the new president has removed all indications of climate change from the .gov websites. It seems as though that's no longer a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took care of that and I think a few other issues as well. <laughs> that we needn't worry about. Yeah, so we, we took a road trip this week. Yeah, I um, wanted to, uh, I've been playing around with some machine learning, uh, specifically uh, applying kind of image filters to uh, video and images. And I wanted to take a trip, just kind of get some new uh, footage, both, uh, you know, images and video that I could process. And I kind of plotted this little trip down to San Diego, over to Yuma, uh, Arizona, up to Phoenix, Arizona, and then uh, we were going to head to the Grand Canyon and then back here. Um, part of the trip being we're going to just avoid uh, a certain event that happened uh, this week. And um, But we didn't make it all the way because uh, the weather is kind of acting up and there was a lot of snow up there. Yeah, snow. Um, I mean, I guess it's not so completely unusual for there to be snow, but the but access to um, to the Grand Canyon was uh, was limited to say the least. Um, fortunately, we we sort of realized that before um, the new president decided that the Interior Department was not allowed to tweet. So I was able to glean that the Grand Canyon, um, this the Southern Rim, was closed thanks to the National Park Service still being able to update um, on Twitter about road conditions. Yes, and avoided being uh, stuck up there in the snow, maybe, possibly. But it was a good trip. I mean, uh, despite it being cut short, I think, by one day because of that, um, we uh, I got to show you some of the, the lovely U.S. southern border and um, took you to a, a couple of the border crossings as well as just kind of roaming the desert and meeting all kinds of other interesting folks. Yeah, including some... Um, uh... Yeah, including some border control, et cetera. Yeah, no, it was, um, it was, it was interesting, and it was. I mean, it was good to be. I mean, for me, I think, um, in my sort of mental, um, mental well-being, it was. It was actually, although we weren't completely away from from the internet on Friday, we were sort of largely away f- from it. We weren't certainly weren't, you know sitting at our desks, um, sort of watching, watching the, the sort of dark day of democracy unfold. Um, and that, al- that also meant that we were, um, you got some beautiful footage um, from where we were on Saturday as we came back. So we missed, um, we, we missed the, the, women, the women's march, marches as well. Yeah, yeah, I got some new footage and some new things to play with. But uh but now we're back, and uh, we're getting, we're just kind of got a few days at home, and we're gonna we're gonna head to the East Coast. So the uh, you know I mean with only paying like sort of squinting squinting in horror at the news this week, we're sort of I think still able to glean um, some of the horror <laughs> the horror that 
that sort of already unfolding on like day one, day two, day three of the Trump presidency. And it sort of comes back to some of the things that we've touched on again and again and again um, with this question of sort of fake news, um, information literacy, media literacy, helping people understand um, and glean glean information so that they can be participants, so that they can be sort of participants in in a civic society, in a civil society. Um, and so it's it's been really horrific to watch that the first sort of issue that the Trump presidency wants to hang its sort of, you know, the first hill it wants to, to sort of fight on is this question uh, about the size of the crowds at the inauguration. Yeah, um, um, apparently there. Um, one of the photos that, that's floating around out there, comparisons from 2009 to now, is um, pretty substantial um, difference in sizes. But uh, from what I'm hearing from from his camp and from from the White House, I have to get used to saying that. Sorry, from the White House. Um, that it was, uh, it was one and a half million, I guess, is is what they said, or, or a very large. That's amount. what Trump's. Yeah, that's what Trump said when Trump spoke. <laughs> when Trump spoke to the CIA on Saturday, he said that um, between one, maybe one and a half million people were in attendance, which is untrue. Yeah, I mean, I can't even like fucking parse. This, excuse me, parse this stuff because it's like. Um, it's just so wacky and it's just so crazy. It just feels like we're in this weird, um, vacuum of just, uh, unreality and, 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 uh, there's just no truth to it. So I find it really hard to, um, spend too much time immersed in it because I just can't, um, it, it, it feels, it just feels like it has no roots in insanity. Well, so, I mean, and this is, so this is, you know, like I said, this is sort of the next stage of what we've been talking about for a while with the sort of deliberate misinformation and disinformation campaigns that we fought, the, the um, campaigns on the internet that were particularly, I think, spread, disseminated through, um, through Facebook, right? So, but what we're also seeing now is what happens when though, when that, when the misinformation and disinformation sort of becomes the message from behind the White House press secretary, right? So that when Sean Spicer can stand in the um, in the press briefing room and utter four bald-faced lies to the media and expect them to be stenographers to, again, the sort of disinformation, right? And even though, as you said, it's pretty obvious if you look at the photos your eyes your eyes don't deceive you that the crowds were smaller according to the data from the um, dc metro system the crowds were even smaller than they are on a regular um a regular work day in dc um so all of the data points to there being a smaller crowd and not surprisingly right trump has taken office as the with the lowest approval ratings of any president in recent history, so it's not—it's not surprising. And he lost the popular vote. It's not surprising um, that his that the crowds might be smaller. But that this is the that this is the issue that his administration wants to open with this thing that even though you know you could see 
you could see with your eyes what was happening, that they want to tell you that you're mistaken. And it is utterly Orwellian. And I think it's, it's, it's really frightening. Well, I mean, when I, when I was diving into the, the fake news thing um, out right after the election and trying to understand this, we've talked about this before, but it's, I quickly kind of assessed like, hey, this is extremely toxic. This is, um, uh, whoever's doing this is, has a lot of resources, a lot of compute resources. And I really don't want to be an arbiter of the truth and saying that's right or wrong. I mean, I hope people can listen to the press secretary and go, hey, that's fucking batshit crazy. They're, they're just straight up lying and that they're consistently doing this. At least people are starting to get familiar with it. I hope. But I, I step back and look at this from, you know, the uh, the domain literacy vantage point of it seems like everyone's everything's all this is acting out on the Web, on the Internet. So being the API guy, I have to focus on this from as as I can kind of grasp it. And when I say domain, I don't just mean uh, DNS as far as the addressing, but, you know, things are. A lot of this happens on Twitter.com. A lot of this is happening on Facebook.com. And these are two different channels or domains that you can um, kind of expect certain actions and behavior and things to play out in a different way. I would say they're both toxic cesspools, but Twitter's a, a kind of a different one than Facebook. And then you have New York Times. You, um, you have WashingtonPost.com. You have these other domains that you may or may not trust. You have Fox News. And so you have these different domains, and, and people are saying, well, those domains are fake news. Those because they don't. There's no trust in in whoever's behind them, and whether it's 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 just a blog or whether it's a, a an actual institution behind it. And then I I think interestingly the the really great lesson to come out of it this week is that domains that you trust may not always be trustworthy because we had a pretty substantially. Um, a, a pretty important domain this week switched from being trustworthy and providing in it, us information on the environment, on uh, LGBTQ information, uh, information for people with disabilities, all just went away on whitehouse.gov. So you now have a domain that you can no longer trust. So where do you go? What other domains um, possess domain experts that you can trust? So there's some very valuable lessons in here, as, as scary as it may be. Yeah, no, I think that this is, I mean, I think that this is really interesting. And it was sort of, it was fascinating to watch um, uh, the the transition happen on the website between the whitehouse.gov website um, the, under President Obama and now the whitehouse.gov website under Trump. And people were, you know, people were saying, oh, that, you know, issues have, you know, that, that things have been scrubbed. And I think that, um, I think it's, so the entire Obama website has been removed and archived, right? So it's brand new stuff. And rather than having a sort of robust set of informations that are priorities, um, Trump has Trump has six priorities. Um, um, and these aren't actually particularly robust. And interestingly, they're not actually the things that he campaigned on, right? So the... Um, he he's using America first as a as a mo motto. Um, I don't know if he's aware that this is an anti-Semitic um, uh, motto from the 1930s. 
probably because um, of his connection to Breitbart. Um, he's well aware of that um, or doesn't give a shit. Um, but it's sort of America first energy plan, America first foreign policy, jobs, military, law enforcement, and trade. So there's no mention of repealing um, health care. There's no mention of the wall. Um, there's no mention of a lot of the things that he um, that he campaigned on, but the, then there's lots like the absence of a lot of issues. Like like we said, there's an absence of issues of there being a, any mention of LGBT rights or civil rights or um, uh, or climate change. But but you but this point about um, misinformation is really interesting because he has the section of issues standing up for our law enforcement community. There are a couple of sort of there's some misinformation on there about the changing crime rate, right? Um, and the sort of things that he would do that were sort of very thinly veiled racist dog whistles about crime in and associated with inner cities, um, uh, inner city crime. And so, again, like here we have, you know, if you think about the traditional ways that we think about teaching domain literacy, we think about teaching media and information literacy, oftentimes the .gov websites, teachers, um, educators, librarians will say those are trustworthy sites um, and you need a little bit more scrutiny as you sort of move to the .com or other, other top-level domains, but the information on .gov is, is the true information. And I think it's fascinating right now that that model of teaching about how domains work, it will no longer suffice. And I think that this ties really well to, for me, one of my favorite articles or most, most thought-provoking articles that I've read in a really, really long time. And that's something that our friend um, Roland Moe published this week in Real Life Mag, um, an article called uh, All I Know is What's on the Internet. Yeah, it's a, um, I mean, for me, it, it touches on um, kind of uh, all the points that you and I try to battle on a regular basis is, I mean, from my vantage point, you know, the technology and how it's, how it's impacting our worlds, but you um, kind of the, the, the education side of this and um, how uh, educational institutions as well as, as media institutions, I mean, I, I can't help but feel like maybe this is lending lending itself to some of the lack of trust in these institutions is that you know we're we're giving we're ceding a lot of control to the facebooks and twitters and these these algorithmic um driven and and advertising uh incentive um kind of models so if you go read a a, a newspaper or read something on any any domains you trust you know new york times washington post a lot of times you're reading it on facebook or you're reading it on twitter um, maybe not Twitter, you're getting the link there, but, um, you know, these institutions are giving over a lot of their, inf their, their, their power and control to, um, to technology. And, and, and I don't think there's enough discussion going on about, you know, the, the role that Silicon Valley plays in this. And I think this, uh, this article, all I, all I know is what's on the internet kind of reflects, reflects what's going on as well as points the finger where it should be, I think. And so I find, you know, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I find um, Roland's argument really um, compelling is I feel like it's it's actually grounded in a particular set of, um, well, it's it's grounded it's grounded in Marxist theory. I'll just come out and say it like that. Like, but it's actually grounded in a in a in a politics and in a theoretical um, 
model that has a, a, crit, a critique of, of capitalism and that makes it, I think, explicit in ways that unfortunately are not always explicit. The ways in which we often think about literacy, right? the way in which we often think about helping people understand knowledge is already part of a culture, not a culture, that's not right, part of structures of compliance, right? So um, the, the way in which we tell people, for example, that .gov websites are the truth is actually sort of a nod to a, it's a nod to, to um, a, an acquiescence, an intellectual acquiescence that information from the government is, is correct. Um, and so I think, I mean, I think it's really, this is a really important moment for us to, I think, really rethink. We have to really radically rethink how we're going to handle um, a President Trump, right? Because we can't actually do the things that we've been doing for decades. And Rollins, Rollins' article is great because he's like, you know, we've been doing this information literacy thing for a while now, and clearly we're no damn good at it, right? We're no better at it. We don't have a population that's able to sort of um, understand or um, or uh, assess these things in in a more sophisticated way than we did in the in the you know in the nineteen sixties. I mean, I think this failure uh, and. And just how bad we off we are is um, the internet's just basically pulled pulled the curtain back on that and, and put that right out there in front of everybody on Facebook and Twitter that how how ill prepared and 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 I think right now when you think of what is what is being sold as information on the internet, um, it's 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 literally that it's being sold as as content. It's more content. It's 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 you know these content farms that have popped up these ad driven click driven models. It's not at all has very little to do with actually true information. And because of those strong capitalist, uh, you know, and market driven undercurrents, and and that ad driven model. I mean, we saw this fake news pop up because I mean, you had these these bros just. Well, I don't really care what what happens. I just was like making ad revenue, and and well, the right seemed to really take the bait, and it worked real well. So what the fuck, you know? It's like. It, it, these things drive this and it's not even in the realm of of infor- actually true information to help p- people make sense of it um but it's being sold as that and totally co-opted and owned well uh, and so okay so i think that so i think that what we have what we're experiencing when it comes to these websites is and i think that your point about trust is is really Im- important um, because I think that we we certainly live in a society, and we've talked about this before, where many of our institutions, um, the trust that we have in all sorts of institutions, has been has been worn away, and and for <laughs> for good reason, right? The reason that we don't actually believe in in mainstream journalism is because mainstream journalism actually, I think, hasn't done a very good job um, holding people in power to account. It hasn't, right? You think about the New York Times and really going along with the kinds of the misinformation campaign in order to get us into the war in Iraq. Um, you think about the ways in which 
the, I mean, even you even look now, right? You think about the things that the New York Times decided to sort of devote the front page to um, the Comey letter, but then now says, oh, you know, we actually had this story about all of Trump's ties to Russia in October, and we decided not to run with it. So in some ways, the, the, the media has lost our trust. Um, the government has lost our trust. Um, religious institutions have, traditional religious institutions have our lost our trust. Um, and so what people are looking for, I think, is, is not actually information. People are looking for something that's comforting emotionally. Right? And I think that that's the appeal of fascism. So the people, I mean, that's why Trump does not care about facts. Trump wants to actually further destabilize these institutions because they might hold him to account, right? The law would hold him to account. The media could hold him to account. Um, a, a, function, a functioning Congress would hold him to account. He hopes that all of these institutions fail, but instead he wants to appeal to these the sort of emotional level, which is about symbolism and language about law and order, um, and that's you know that's that's fascism. And so I think you know information literacy. It, it it's all like Roland's argument is that it does that. That's not even the point. Like you could actually say, you know what you're totally wrong about like, and I've, I, I've had these arguments, I don't know if you have too, with people on Facebook in the last like 48 hours, like, I, like, you're wrong about the crap, like, you're wrong. The facts, your facts are wrong about the inauguration. And they don't fucking care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's why I, I, I feel almost helpless sometimes taking that stuff on directly, because I don't know how to argue with that kind of just um, willingness and and willing to be ignorant of history and and what's happened and and just kind of focus in this moment and and it seems like these platforms are just just enabling it, fueling it, driving it, um, and just taking it to new levels because they just kind of strip away any little bit of context um, that might have been there, and it's all about the emotion, like you said, and these these personalized, these ad driven, these um, real-time things are all that emotional base and just get people worked up. And there's no, there's no, I mean, I just don't know how these, some of these people could, could trust some of the Russian sources they're citing, let alone some of the, the no-name blogs that pop up in domains. I mean, it's crazy. So I think that that's the thing is that you, I think that when you and I say like, I don't know how you could trust that source. I don't know how you could, I don't know how you could trust this, this sort of, Russian connection. I think that that's like, I don't even know if trust, like, I don't think that they trust them. I think that they're swept up by these sort of emotional arguments. And I think that there's something really powerful about the strong man. I think that there's something really powerful about the authoritarian that makes people feel comforted in a world that is, that is precarious, right? That, um, you know, the, like I said, like it's, <laughs> it's raining so hard in LA right now that it's, it's flooding. Um, the, 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 the climate is precarious. Jobs are precarious. You know, we drove around, um, we, you know, as we drove around, um, Arizona, you could sort of sense this sort of fear, um, among people whose, whose sort of way of thinking about the world is being upended and they feel like they're under, assault, that their culture is under assault, that their traditions are under assault. And so they don't, 
they're not actually looking, I think, for information. They're looking for mythology. Yeah, I mean, they're not they're not curious. So whatever floats across their their Facebook timeline or their Instagram timeline, that's what they're that's what they're absorbing. And and the those the the people who want to influence that, I mean, that makes them really open to exploitation by a small, very vocal group of people who are producing again content. You know, not information and not I mean, barely even disinformation. It's just. It's just, you know, um, they're just trying to float it across. And it's emotional, you know, bullshit and put it in front of them so they think and feel a certain way. And, and that's the, 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 the what's so wrong about Silicon Valley, I think, being kind of complicit in this is they're just, they're doing it. They're looking at technology like it's it's pure and it's and all it is is just algorithmic based and and it's trying to generate ad revenues and and doing this this certain thing, but it it works at this emotional level that it's targeting the, this group of people, working very well as a vehicle for working them up and getting them you know personalizing this this hellish bubble that they live in and allowing people to just feed those bubbles. And um, with no context at all. I mean, that's why it, I always come back to the domain um, because I have, I'm looking at my homepage on my curation screen right now, and I have a, a hundred uh, titles up there. Um, I'm not in Facebook, it's my personal system. And they're from many different sources. I see Intel, I see IBM, I see uh, Oracle, I see. Um, whitehouse.gov their blog i see gsa i see um you know small businesses little startups that i work with so and that's all domain based i have to look at the domain and go oh based upon what i know about washington post i'm going to take that with you know whatever grain of salt if it's new york times if it's washington post or usa today if it's intel if it's ibm all of this is based upon my the the context that that d- domain brings me, and if all of that's stripped out because you know oh the 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 user don't care about any of this they just want the information they want their you know live in their bubble be personalized and have everything sent to them how dangerous that way of thinking is. Yeah, I mean, and I so I think that people, I mean, I think that you're right. I think that the sort of alg- algorithmic presentation of of information that we're getting now is is I think what's what's this sort of new piece of it, right? Before, you know, I mean, you know, the, the media, the media had a, a different sort of informational supremacy, right? You, you would listen to Walter Cronkite and he seemed like an earnest guy, right? You, and you, uh, um, and so, you know, he was able to sort of trade on, the severity of his of his facial expressions and his mode of delivery and his maleness and whiteness and as and voice and he seemed like an earnest person and i think that you know when you think about what news what televised news and again i think that television is still like as much as the internet is important i think that most americans still are tv watchers um and so and but they're not watching cronkite Right, they're watching Fox News, or CNN, or MSNBC, and again, it's not—it's a—it's not actually about sort of this performance of objectivity. I don't think that Cronkite was ever objective, but a performance of a certain kind of authoritative objectivity. And now it's a different sort of emotional appeal. Um, so I think, and but I think that, that what the internet does is it really dials that in. So you don't actually have to see things that you don't actually have to hear Cronkite give a story about 
farm workers, for example, in you know, in California organizing for civil rights, because it's dialed in a worldview in which that doesn't matter. The only time that you would hear anything about um, any kind of migrant farm worker is under a different sort of emotional appeal. And so I think that that's the internet is definitely creating. It's not that they're creating information bubbles. I think that that's part of what's wrong with information literacy is that they're creating these emotional bubbles. And like I see, you know, I see my conservative friends worked up over stuff that I'm like, holy shit, like what are you watching or hearing that has you so just up in arms about this little emotional appeal? And I think that it, like that they're seeing so red over the emotional stuff that I, I mean, that's, I think, part of what Roland's sort of saying, too, is that, like, you can't, like, the, the information is beside the point. There is nothing, you know, I got into it, I got into it several times today with, with folks on Facebook, and um, the, the claims that were ahistorical, right, someone, I saw someone say that this was, like, the worst this was like somehow the only, the worst time and the only time that people have protested in an inauguration. And I'm like, well, that, that's just not true. And I, or they said that only Democrats, only Democrats protest, only Democrats protest. And I was just like, man, like, and of course, then the, the heartbreaking part for me is that as I push this person further, I come to find out she's a history teacher. She's a K through 12 public school history teacher. And I said, you know, when I said, you know, actually, I would say that maybe Lincoln's inauguration was fairly divisive, right? Because six Southern states, maybe seven, had already seceded in 1860, uh, and she's 1861. And she said, well, Lincoln was a Republican, so you proved my point. Wow. And what do you... Uh, Right? Like, I mean, mean, if there's no, again, if there's no context there and you're just stoking the emotion. Yeah. So, I mean, again, so, you know, thinking about, you know, what do we do about these questions of literacy? Like, and like when you say that you're sort of paralyzed and don't know what to do, like, I, I, I I feel you because I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when you make sort of arguments, right, you can make an appeal to logic and that's not going to work. You can make an appeal to authority, and that's actually what a lot of information literacy education is. It's an appeal to authority, right? We're going we're gonna to believe what's on whitehouse.gov because it's an authority. Or you have an appeal to an emotion. And so what we have right now is we live in a world where appeal to emotion is the dominant way in which arguments are made, and, and the places that we had once assigned to be places of authority have now been decimated by quote unquote alternative facts. Yeah. Alternative facts. I see. I mean that I'm just, I'm, I'm completely fucking helpless except for all we can do is keep talking about the truth. Um, I I think this, this is part of why we're uh, now doing our uh, underground history um, segments. Yeah. 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 I Um, forgot to mention that we should, Plug that, which, yeah. Yeah, which um, it's up on the site. You can find um, the first uh, episode, which was on the punch card, um, which um, we reveal a, a secret that I, um, my mother was a computer. 
Um, and so you should listen to that. But that's part of the reason why we go into these things is is I think all we can do is counter uh, you know, alternative facts with, hey, that's fucking bullshit. Um, we can counter every, uh, you know, Nazi with a punch upside the head. We can um, push back and say, actually, here's what happened in history. Here's why you're wrong. And and just keep repeat, repeat and rinse until, uh, until this nightmare is over. Well, and I think that this is, so I think that this is the, the one, that's a really good point. And one of the things I try to remember when I think about, you know, the, um, as someone who tries to be explicitly anti-racist in in my work, um, you know, fighting fighting with racists on the internet, for example, I don't do that because I believe necessarily that I'm going to change the mind of a racist. But I actually want to model anti-racist behavior to the people who are watching. And so, even though it sucks to get in these wacky conversations with the crazy people on the Facebooks and the crazy people on the Twitters and like the, that crazy asshole who emailed me this week, like, I feel like what you want to do is you want to model, you want to model responding. You don't want to model compliance, right? You're not, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to be compliant. I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to stand up for, um, for the things that I believe are right. And I'm not afraid to argue with you. I'm not afraid to sort of tap into my arsenal of facts, like fact facts, not even alternate facts. Like I got facts. (laughs) Um, I'm not afraid to make appeals to authority, even though I'm arguing with a worldview that doesn't believe in that authority necessarily. But like you said, I'm actually not afraid to fucking punch a Nazi in the face. And so I feel like we have to do, we have to do that in a, in a big way, um, in sort of all of these micro and macro interactions that we have with, with people that we come across. And I, I would, augment that with, you know, find, you know, find your own voice and your own way of, of resisting and pushing back, follow the lead of others, but do what works for you. Cause I'm like, I gen, I get fucking pissed fighting with people on, on the, on the Facebook. So I tend to be a little more passive aggressive on that front. You know, I'll like read someone sing and then write a blog post about it online and then share it on Facebook. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't recommend that everyone walk up and punch a Nazi in upside the head. Um, um, you, you should try it. It's, it's, I think it's, it, everyone should try it at least once, but some people, I think physically, maybe it might not be a good idea, but, um, you know, do, do what you can and we should all, you know, take care of and support each other, um, in, in whatever, you know, resistant circles we can develop and, and support each other. Yeah. Amen. So, uh, we didn't really talk much about the politics of the internet this week, other than sort of this big, on this big sort of macro level. Um, should we leave other things to next week or do you want to talk about what happened in API land? Um, I mean, I don't, uh, it's a footnote. Let's make it a footnote. I'd rather make it a footnote than a regular, um, episode or a segment piece is just, um, one of my, um, uh, one of the worst comp- worst behaved in the API space, Oracle, which is one of the, the the massive tech giants out there, acquired one of the smaller um, startups in the space that was doing good. Um, Apiary, who is a uh, you know kind of the the centerpiece of of when I talk about APIs, I talk about how it's important to to have a a healthy design process. 
Um, and whatever you're, you're, whatever you're, you're exposing with your API, if it's images or videos or, you know, um, SMSs, that you design it well and you think about who's going to use it and you design it and secure it and, and do it properly. And they were a big champion of that. And so Oracle um, bought them and I just, you know, I wrote a post this week, you know, how we can't have anything nice and, and Oracle fucking sucks. And it's just, um, you know, it sucks because it's the whole startup thing, you know, and a lot of people came at me and go, well, not all big companies are bad and not all startups end up this way and get shut down. I'm like, Did you say true. name one? Name yeah. one. <laughs> I said, that is true. Not all of them are, but most of them are. And no one, you know, no one goes, hey, I've got a great new startup that uh, service or tool that you should use. But hey, by the way, you know, in 18 months, when we start running low on money and we can't get any more funding, we're going to let someone buy us. And then we're, you know, we really don't know if we're going to be shut down. You know, nobody says that shit out front because no one would use their fucking tool if they was. But that's what happens in most of these cases. And it goes deeper than that for me with APIs because, um, you know, or Oracle sued Google this year for the um, about API copyright for the Java API. And that basically set the precedent that APIs are copyrightable. So I can basically the naming and ordering of my, you know, Kinlane, whatever, Tech Gypsies API is is copyrightable and 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 it's just dumb it's like it's it's basically pouring glue in in the gears that make the internet go around and so oracle is just awful and that they're buying up you know can buy up startups that we love and are doing really interesting things um sucks and uh so there's more to it than that but uh keep staying stay in tune with api evangelist i think it's most of the API news tends to be beneath this podcast, I think, and that's where I want to leave it. <laughs> well, may, I was going to say maybe we could talk about th this in the underground history, but maybe not. But you know how I will end it is, do you know what, secretly pouring glue in the internet, I think I might be okay with that. Not as I say, I don't say that as a pro-Oracle statement. I just say that as sort of a, a philosophy that might be guiding my world right now. I hate to say it, like <laughs> Oracle buying them... Um, is basically kind of the death now for me that that this you know there there's so many people patenting and copywriting the internet right now like what makes the internet work and locking it up and making it proprietary and as well as all of the cyber insecurity shit that's going on the trolling the toxicity that's that's on facebook and twitter there's just not much hope to be left that it's going to remain any, any anything that we want to be on all the time Wow. That was a depressing good way to end. I know. Well, you know, um, maybe we'll we'll have something. I mean, that's actually going to be the good thing about these sort of midweek these midweek shows that we're going to do is that maybe they won't be quite as depressing. I mean, again, like I don't know how to, you know. I mean, I feel like it's like part of the problem that the thing that the t internet technologies have got themselves into too is that they've lived in this la la land where they haven't been willing to confront any of this shit that's happening, right? We were talking about this over dinner, this stupid fucking Godwin's law that any time that you, someone was like, that seems sort of fascist, that someone would pipe up and say, oh, 
oh, Godwin's law, you mentioned Nazis, you lose the argument, um, has sort of <laughs> crippled us from being able to address these things online. And so I think that we, you know, I don't think it's a time to be sunny and optimistic about the potential for the potential for these technologies. And I think for educators, you know, for my world in particular, you know, like I said, like we, like this is why I love this piece by Rollin is that like we need something different. We need something far more radical to be able to help us undo the sort of disaster of our current, um, this sort of current slide, like slide into techno-fascism. And frankly, having people, you know, do the, the fucking, the stupid octopus in a tree exercise is not the thing. Well, I want to, I want to kind of high emphasize that. And this is, I mean, this is pretty much why you've been doing what you do in ed tech, but Rollins post, um, really, you know, here's an excerpt from it about the fake news and, and why Silicon Valley, you know, I think before we, we've got to come to terms with what you've been saying for the last five, six years about, about Silicon Valley and technology. But here's this, this quick quote is, though they may profit for, uh, from a culture of obfuscation, fake headline writers did not build it alone. They're not solely responsible for exalting the solutionistic promises of Silicon Valley, where a program or a platform is the remedies for those left behind. If we can blame fake news for the Trump presidency and other social ills, then we can... Then we can continue to deny this wider complicity in developing a society that promises knowledge is power, but primarily treats information as an economic resource. Fake news is just squatting in one part of one building in an entire landscape of neglect and corruption. Evicting them will make no difference to the blight. Yeah, no, that's a good place to end. That's the internet right there. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's, And that's, that's the piece. Right. That's the damaging part of all I know is what's on the internet. Because if you just know that, I mean, I got a glimpse of that with looking into the fake news. If that's all you know, fuck, that's sad. That's sad. But well, see, we're we're we've won. We but but it's not like we can't like this isn't just the internet, right? This is actually connected to the misinformation and disinformation that you get on Fox News and CNN, and it's connected to the misinformation and disinformation that appears in textbooks, right? Like this history teacher that I mentioned earlier, like, like this isn't just, it's not like everything was amazing when it came to Americans and having a, a, a rich and deep and critical understanding of geopolitics and economics until the internet. Well, and this is why, right? Like, <laughs> this is why our friend Gary says, uh, you know, literacy, because it's it's a bigger problem, right? Yeah, but then my response is like, literacy is compliance, right? L- literacy is cultural compliance to someone else's word, and so you know, how do we? How do you get? How do you? How do you get outside of that without having? this sort of fractured thing that we have right now, which is like, I only believe the words of the people whose algorithmic profile fits the things that make me feel most comfortable. I don't know. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, yeah, we didn't fix it. 43 minutes in and we didn't fix it. Alrighty. Till next week. Till next week. <laughs> <laughs>